0: and welcome back to Movie Theater Mom, a podcast that's all about movie commentaries here. a Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there and also happy Multiverse of Madness weekend for all my Marvel fans out there. But today we are not talking about Marvel, I know, but still gotta give love to that fandom. Today we are talking about the underdog of the Harry Potter franchise, I believe, which is Order of the Phoenix. I don't feel like this movie's talked about enough. I know a lot of people that like it and I know a lot of people that don't like it. And I can see why they don't like it, and we'll get into that later. But I do wanna say I did not work this movie. That is gonna be actually the next movie we talk about, but I did go see this movie in theaters. I actually had a terrible experience seeing this movie in theaters because when we went, our theater like blacked out, like at the most important part of this movie, towards the end. And then when it came back up, we had missed a big chunk of the movie, and they didn't go back and let us see what we missed. So I had to go back the next, like, in, like, a few days after and re-watch it to see what I missed. Okay, I'm gonna stop rambling now so that we can get right into this movie. Okay, so if you're new here, we always talk about the stars of our show, and if you've been following me along since episode one, you know where we're about to start. Our new stars of this movie, and I'm probably gonna butcher some of these people's names, but... It is what it is. Natalie Tenna, who plays the lovely Tonks. We meet her. And even though she doesn't really have a huge part in this movie or in this series, really, she's very much more a big player in the books. I still love her. I love her character. And that's that. Amilda Staunton, who plays the worst person in these movies, worse than Voldemort. So I said, what I said Dolores Umbridge. And we will get into why I hate her so much later. But if anybody's seen these movies or read these books, you know, you know, she's awful. The worst. But who's not the worst is Ivana Lynch, who plays Luna Lovegood, and she is my absolute favorite. I just, ugh, I get so giddy. She's just so cute and so sweet, and I just love her so much. And then the lovely Helena Bottom Carter plays Bellatrix Lestrange, another new baddie that comes in. She's a little crazy. We don't love her for it. We love Helena Baum Carter, but we don't love Bellatrix Lestrange, and there are many reasons why a big reason why is in this movie though but okay now that I've said what I've said about these new stars obviously our trio is still in this movie obviously everybody else that I've mentioned in all these other episodes are still in this movie so we're going to get right into the story and plot and everything else in between okay so we start this movie out that Harry is back with the Dursleys it's very confusing how back and forth we go like sometimes he's staying with the Weasleys sometimes he's back with his aunt and uncle I honestly can't keep up But in this movie, he's back with his aunt and uncle, and his lovely cousin, who goes by Big D now, and that alone is terrible. And he's terrible still. Boy, will never change. He gets a little bit better, but not enough to redeem him. I would also like to point out that I love that everybody got a haircut for this movie. The long hair is now gone for everybody. Praise Jesus. Harry is obviously still really messed up about what happened in the last movie, And he is continuing to have nightmares about the graveyard, Cedric dying, meeting Voldemort, all the above. And Big D is taunting him about it and just is like, oh, is Cedric your boyfriend? And da-da-da-da-da. i am like, boy, you don't know. You do not even know. And then all of a sudden, it gets really dark. It gets really cloudy. And you know something's up. And then Dementors attack Harry and Dudley, which is weird because... They're not supposed to attack unless the Ministry orders them to do so, and they're also supposed to stay at Azkaban. Like that's their, that's their home, that's their little place. And so it's very weird that they're even out where Muggles are. And Harry uses magic, defends them both, saves them both, but he is not allowed to use magic outside of school. So he's in pretty big trouble in hot water with the Ministry of Magic and also with Hogwarts. So much so that he gets a letter saying that he's been expelled. So no surprise there. So now he feels like he has nowhere to go. And on top of that, I forgot to mention that when the Dementors attacked, Dudley was affected and they think they need to take him to the hospital because he's just not making sense. And so they leave Harry by himself at the house. Well, Moody, along with Tonks and Kingsley, and does Lupin show up? No, just Tonks and Kingsley, along with a few other people that aren't mentioned, they come to take him to a hearing about his expulsion. So basically, they're going to take him to the Weasleys, and they're going to take him there. But they don't take him to the Weasleys. They end up taking him to headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix, which is where everyone's waiting. We later find out that that is actually Sirius's house, so it's the black residence. So, And it's a pretty cool house. We actually visit it again in later movies, but it's never specified that it is Sirius's house until almost the end of the movie, and so you're just kind of sitting here thinking, well, whose house is this? It has to be somebody's because there's a house elf here and his name is Creature, and he is an asshole, but we love him regardless. This is where we're reunited with Ron and Hermione, and he is pissed at them because he hasn't received a letter from them all summer, and they tell him that they were told not to send him any letters because Dumbledore asked them not to. Dumbledore wants to keep Harry in the dark, we find out, because the more he doesn't know more he can't be asked about and said that he's lying about because the daily prophet slash the ministry of magic are saying that he's lying about everything and that Dumbledore is trying to cover it up to basically make him feel better about lying about everything which we know he's not but everybody else thinks that he is and luckily the Weasleys don't think he's lying Hermione doesn't think he's lying the Order doesn't think he's lying so he has all those people to back him up but when you have people printing things about you in the newspaper kind of doesn't boost a lot of confidence for you we go to harry's trial which mr weasley takes him to and it's at the ministry of magic and he has to go before it's a basically a full-blown trial there's tons of people there regarding just a kid that broke the law for using magic outside of school just because he's not 17 but lo and behold dumbledore does show up at his hearing as a witness, along with his neighbor, Mrs. Fig, who is the one who saw the Dementor attack, and she can vouch saying that they were really there, and Harry wasn't making that up either, according to them. This is where we also meet Dolores Umbridge, and all of her pink. I can't stand this lady. I have no nice things to say about her, and the woman who plays her, just bravo to her for making me hate you so much, and not even caring what happens to you, because if she had died in this movie, I wouldn't have felt bad at all. Thankfully, Harry is cleared of all of his charges and is no longer expelled. But when he tries to get Dumbledore to talk to him, he won't. He actually leaves very quickly before Harry can even call him over to say thank you or anything like that. So awkward. So like I said earlier, Harry is having nightmares about the graveyard still, but now he is having nightmares just about Voldemort and he is seeing this hallway and also these orbs and everything else. And it's just kind of just like bits and pieces, like nothing really ever makes sense. So that's fun for him. And now we're on to going back to school. So we ride the train, obviously. And then we get there. We have a new mode of transportation to get to the school, which is apparently the way they've been getting to school this whole time. And I didn't know it, but they ride these carriages that have animals that you can't see. And I am blanking on what they're called. I'm going to have to look it up. Thestrals, that's what they're called. They look like skeleton type horses with wings. So it's like skeleton Pegasuses. If we're, I guess. Apparently you can only see them if you have seen someone die. So that's morbid. But on to happier topics. This is where we meet Luna Lovegood. She's a little wacky, but I love her. She is amazing. And she's very just like straightforward. She really doesn't care that people think that she's weird. And I just love that. Also, her and Neville kind of have a thing later in this movie and later on. And I just think that's adorable. So there's that little sprinkle of cuteness in there for you guys. But back to Hogwarts. Our favorite person, Dolores Umbridge, is the new Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. And that means that the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts, which is not good. Hagrid apparently is away on personal business so someone else is filling in for him. I can't remember who it is because obviously it's not important. (laughs) We find out though that aside from Ron and Hermione nobody will have anything to do with Harry at school. I mean Neville will. We will include Neville in this and Luna honestly because she really doesn't know but nobody from the Gryffindor common room will talk to him They all think he's crazy. A lot of the parents didn't want them to come back to school because of all the rumors that have been going around. So it it is shaping up to be a fantastic year for Harry. First day of class with Umbridge, just right out of the gate, we find out that she does not want them to know how to defend themselves. So she is literally taking them back to basics and prepare them for their OWLs, which is basically like their SATs or ACTs. So, of course, Harry and his angsty self pisses Umbridge off and saying that they do need to know how to defend themselves, and she asks why. Nobody's going to come and attack you, and he goes, oh, I don't know. Maybe Lord Voldemort will. So then he gets detention, and her type of detention is he's going to write lines using her own personal little quill. Well, that quill doesn't require any ink because when you write on it, whatever you are told to write ends up appearing on your hand. And the line that Harry had to write over and over is, I must not tell lies. And that appears on his hand. It's honestly, it's torture. You are torturing kids and that's your way of punishment. It's terrible. I just, mm, I don't need to get on a tangent with her because then that's going to be 30 minutes of me talking about how much I hate her. And we don't have time for that. We're going to get right back into what we're talking about. But it's honestly sad because Harry really doesn't have anybody that he can tell besides Ron and Hermione. I mean, he can tell Sirius about it, but what is Sirius going to do? Because technically he's still being hunted for escaping Azkaban, even though he's not really a criminal. So who's he supposed to tell? Who is supposed to be his advocate? And it's just, it's really sad because he's just supposed to take it and be picked on by this teacher, this grown-up, and he can't do anything about it. So in turn, Harry ends up pushing everybody that he cares about away because he just feels like he's all alone with this. I mean, he's being basically blasted and saying that he is lying about everything and nobody believes him except for his friends, and he doesn't even think that they really believe him, so he's just pushing them away and is basically isolating himself. He does become friends with Luna, though, sort of, just because they have the whole death thing in common, and that sounds terrible to say, but, you know, Harry's parents are dead, and her mom has passed away. He saw Cedric die. They just have this in common. They both see these weird little Pegasus type creature things, so they bond over that. Luna tells him that her and her dad believe everything that he's been saying, and that the Daily Prophet is the one that's lying about everything, which makes him feel a little bit better, but he still feels very much alone in all of this. And Luna tells him that that is probably Voldemort's plan, because If she was thinking the way that he was, she would want him to feel alone because that would make him easier to attack and to invade his mind and everything else under the sun and what he's basically been doing. So good job, Luna. She hit the nail right on the head there. So remember how I said that the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts? Well, they really are big time because Umbridge starts making all these new rules at school and she starts firing professors and everything like that. And Dumbledore tries to put a stop to it but she's got the ministry backing her up and he is just the headmaster. Which, yes, that does have some pull but not enough to overthrow the ministry, as it were, and any of the rules that they want to do. So the trio decides that they need to start to learn how to defend themselves because they feel like they need to because of everything that's happening at school and everything that's happening out in the world. They think that if they're not going to be taught in class that they need to learn themselves. And who would be the best teacher, but Harry, you know, he's defended himself quite a lot. (laughs) And so they decide to form a quote unquote army. They name it Dumbledore's army. Don't really know that that was the best name for it, but here we are. What's done is done. But they need to find somewhere secret to meet so that they can practice everything else. Neville ends up being the one to find this place. He finds the room of requirement and that's where they meet. And I don't need to explain what the room requirement means because it's in the name. It is the room that you require. And it pops up wherever you need it to pop up. So that's pretty cool. Umbridge, of course, starts getting suspicious about everything because she sees them, you know, huddling, making conversation, all that good jazz. So she starts questioning students one by one to see what's going on, all the shenanigans that's going on at school. So, basically, they're not allowed to have any fun. They're not allowed to do anything. They basically go to class and go to sleep. That is all she wants them to do. She wasn't, doesn't want them to do anything else, think for themselves, anything. But back in the room of requirement with Dumbledore's army, everybody's pretty much picking up the defensive spells pretty quickly. Neville is struggling, which I, I do not have a bad word to say about Neville, ever, ever makes me love him more that he struggles because he's just so sweet and you just want to give him a hug and love him. He's our underdog of this story and I am a Neville Stan girl all the way. Never not be. He does finally get it and it is a big celebration. Everybody is so just like wooing him and cheering him on. They are so proud of him and I just love that. I love that it is a big team effort. Like if one of them struggles and they all struggle, they're all there for each other and to help each other and Regardless of if the, it is illegal what they're doing, they all are friends and it is very apparent in what is going on here. So, cute moment. Love it for them. What I don't love, Harry and Cho end up kissing and it's cute, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I just don't understand why we push for this so much in the fourth one and in this one and it's probably because I didn't read this book because... <laughs> I didn't want to read this book because when I went to go flip through it, there was literally like five pages that were all in capital letters because he's just yelling and so angsty. But regardless of the fact, back to what I was talking about, I don't understand this relationship and maybe it's because they don't really dive into the romantic relationships in these movies, except for one particular one. And so every other one that they dive into, it's just kind of met. It's just not met with enough backstory and enough other stories outside of kissing or anything else that happens to make me want to care about these people and their relationships except for one and I, I don't know maybe that's just me I just felt like this was just unnecessary I don't know I know it happens in the books but I just wasn't my cup of tea and if it's anybody else's that is your cup of tea it's just not mine and like I said, they kiss and then they don't really have any more interaction after that. I mean, they chat for like a hot second after they come back from Christmas break. But you really don't see them talk again. And then it's just done. And I'm maybe that's why it pisses me off. I don't know. It just does. But enough about that. We're going to get into Christmas break. Because on Christmas break, Harry has a dream about Mr. Weasley being attacked by Nagini. Which is Voldemort's snake. I haven't really gotten very deep into that because she's not really that important until the last couple of movies so she's a big old snake very terrifying in the dream she is attacking him but also in the dream it makes you think that harry is the one that's attacking him because it's kind of first person view so he ends up waking everybody up to tell them what's going on luckily he was right and saved the day and mr weasley comes out unharmed which is great What is not great is that Voldemort is invading Harry's mind and making him see things that he wants to, so Snape tries to help him learn how to shield his mind, which we all know that that is just going to go great because they get along swimmingly, you know. I'm going to correct myself from what I said earlier. When I said Mr. Weasley comes out unharmed because he doesn't, he is actually very banged up, believe he has a broken arm, he did get attacked by a snake. That was legit. So, just correcting myself that he did get attacked, and he ends up thanking Harry at Christmas because, honestly, if Harry hadn't have dreamt that, then he wouldn't have been alive. They wouldn't have known to go and get him. So, all in all, a dark sorcerer invading your mind is plus because you save someone. I don't know. There's a there's a loophole in there somewhere. They are back at headquarters for Christmas, so we get to see Sirius again. And we also get a little family history from him. We find out that that he was kind of cast out from his family, basically ran away to live with uh, Harry's parents uh, or uh, Harry's dad, I believe, is what he said. But we do find out that Bellatrix Lestrange is Sirius's cousin. So his family tree is just really spectacular. (laughs) So they're back from Christmas break and they find out that Hagrid's back, and they also find out where he's been. He has been with the Giants because Dumbledore told him to go kind of make a, a deal with them, an agreement with them, and we also find out that he's also had another little side project, which I will get to here in just a minute, but before that, we also find out that Azkaban has a mass breakout, Bellatrix Lestrange escapes, and the Ministry thinks that it was Sirius who organized it because he quote-unquote broke out before, which he did. The I guess I shouldn't put a quote unquote under that because he did break out. (laughs) But we found out that Bellatrix was actually the one that tortured Neville's parents. I think I said in the last episode that it was Barty Crouch Jr. Because I thought I heard that in the movie. And maybe I'm mistaken and I don't know. But Neville does confide in Harry and tells him that his parents were tortured by Bellatrix Estrange for information on where Harry's parents were hiding to get to Harry and they wouldn't give it up. And he says that he's very proud to be their son. But he doesn't want anybody to know what happened. And and I understand that because I think he feels embarrassed about everything. I don't know why he should. He should be proud. I mean, his parents were... Yes, they died. But they were also heroes in the fact that they wouldn't give up their friends' locations. So, all in all, he should be proud of that. And that's what Harry tells him. He goes, you should be proud and we're going to make them proud. Which, good on Harry. Like, he is really coming around and trying to let people in and I applaud him for that but you know happiness can't last for very long Umbridge ends up finding out where the room of requirement is they all get in trouble they end up finding the paper that everybody signed and it said Dumbledore's army on them so they go and confront Dumbledore about it and said hey you started this army you are basically how did they put it Trying to overthrow the ministry, I think, is basically what they're getting at here. And they want him sent to Azkaban. He says that, yes, he did want them to start the army. He takes it up for them. But Harry says, no, I was the one that started it. And Dumbledore's like, well, it doesn't say Potter's Army, does it? It says Dumbledore's. And I'm like, that's why I'm saying you probably should have named it something different. But, you know, here we are. It's whatever. But before he can get sent to Azkaban, he makes a stylish exit, must I say because fox comes and swoops under him he claps his hands it explodes he disappears and kingsley says "Uh, you gotta give it to him dumbledore has got style and i agree sir i agree but with that stylus exit comes the worst thing ever umbridge is now headmaster and she makes more rules and just makes it 10 times worse than it already was don't know how she could but she does but back to Hagrid, like I said, he also had another side project that he was working on. And we end up meeting his half-brother, who is a giant. And his name is Grobby. And he's precious. He's just a little baby. At least that's what he acts like. But, you know, he's precious. We love him. But Hagrid wants Harry, Hermione, and Ron to take care of him because Umbridge basically told him that he's out and they're sending him away basically. I don't know if they're going to send him to Azkaban. I don't think that's ever said, but she's basically going to send him away from Hogwarts. Harry and Snape are also still working on shielding his mind from Voldemort. And in the process, they're getting really frustrated with each other and Snape is not being the best teacher, saying that Harry is acting like his father and everything like this, and it's very well known that Snape and Harry's dad did not get along. Well, Harry decides that he's going to invade Snape's mind and we see that James, Harry's dad, was actually a bully to Snape and so you kind of understand where the hatred comes from and why he talks so badly about Harry's dad and you do kind of feel bad for Snape because he was the outcast in school and then we find out later on more stuff and I'm not going to spoil anything so we, we just we feel for Snape just a little bit. So the moment that Umbridge has been waiting for has finally come. It's time for everybody to take their owls. And Of course, they're all just, you know, doing the thing. And all of a sudden, they hear this commotion outside of the class. Or it's not even the class. They're in the Great Hall. So they hear all this commotion. And all of a sudden, the twins, friend George, bust in. I forgot to say earlier, they have been selling all these things for like, a joke shop type thing. Um, and they've been selling, like, all these gummies that make, like, you break out in hives like, so you can skip class and all this stuff. It's just, like, basically jokes and everything like that. So, in return, they play a joke on Dolores Umbridge and create all these fireworks, and all of a sudden, they have one that creates a dragon, chases her out of the hall, and busts the wall with all of the signs, with all the new rules that she's made tears them all down and she disappears and you think that she's gone and so everybody's celebrating it's all great it's all fine and then all of a sudden harry collapses because voldemort has invaded his mind once again and now he is saying that he is torturing sirius and so of course harry springs into action he's like we have to go and help sirius and they're like well wait what if he is playing a trick on you what if this is not real He's like, no, it's real. He goes, whether it's real or not, he goes, I've got to go because if I don't, what if something terrible happens to Sirius? Which I understand, but also cautiousness. But we're not cautious and we're just going to go. That's fine. Whatever. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione are all ready to go. Neville's going to come with them. So is Luna. So is Ginny. So basically, sort of the band is back together. And they... Are trying to figure out how they're gonna to get to London they're like, oh we'll just use flu powder well the only way that you can use flu powder is in Umbridge's office so they sneak in there thinking that she's gone and she is not unfortunately she pops in and then Malfoy is also become a part of her little team of terrible people and He brings in Neville, Jenny, and Luna, and they are all questioned, and actually, she asks Snape for more of the truth serum, so that she can tell him what's going on, and Snape's like, oh, well, you've used the rest of it on questioning all the students, actually used the last of it when you were questioning Miss Chang, and that's when we find out that Cho's actually the one that gave them all up, and the only reason that she did was because she had no other choice. Hate that for her, but also that was kind of the end of her story really so since umbridge can't use the truth serum on any of them she says that she's going to use the cruciatus curse on them to get them to talk which is super illegal i believe <laughs> and she i guess like what fudge doesn't know won't hurt him da, da, da. well then hermione's like just just tell her just tell her what's going on and they end up tricking her to go to the dark forest which is where grobby is And she ends up getting taken by the centaurs. And so, bye-bye, bitch. She's done. I'm not even going to go into grave detail about what happens because she's just gone and I'm just so happy. So after that, they head to the Ministry of Magic. In order to get there, though, they use the pegasus, little skeleton pegasuses, to get there. And when they get there, they can't find Sirius, actually. And they go to find the prophecy which is i forgot to mention when harry saw his little vision of voldemort and sirius he was talking to him about a prophecy so harry's like oh let's go find this before he can they're definitely just it looks like a little orb type thing like what you would use to like read the future that's what it looks like to me they end up in this room with a ton of these little orb prophecies and Harry ends up finding the one that they're looking for, and it says to sum up basically that they both can't live. Both Harry and Voldemort cannot live at the same time, so one of them must die. We find out later why that is, but that that is the prophecy. But once they find this prophecy, all these Death Eaters start showing up. So, like, Lucius Malfoy shows up, Bellatrix the Strange shows up, along with multiple others, and they corner everyone. And they fight them off and they they do a pretty good job and then they all get kind of stuck in this room and i don't know what the room is called but it has this big archway that has um it's basically like when you die like that's where your soul kind of goes is what i would how i would describe it so they're kind of all stuck there and they're about ready to defend themselves against all these death eaters and then all of a sudden sirius moody tonks kingsley lupin they all come to save the day and we love them for it it's great and sirius tells harry to leave and harry's like no i'm not gonna leave you i want to fight with you and they do end up fighting and then all of a sudden bellatrix casts the she casts the avada cadaver spell and we see sirius just float under this archway And we see that he dies and it is just so sad because I love Sirius. Even though he wasn't very involved in these movies, he was still such a family dynamic for Harry, and it's just so sad that he lost that. And it was A-plus acting to Daniel Radcliffe on this, because I still feel it whenever I re-watch it, and I have seen this movie a dozen times, and it still gets to me every time, because of how impactful his acting was and i think i read somewhere where like his grandma had passed away that day when they were filming it and so like that was very much authentic the feelings that he was feeling so just a plus all around for that not a plus that sirius died but a plus on the acting so naturally harry runs after bellatrix and she is just changing this whole time that she's running away from him i killed sirius black da 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 basically taunting him And then all of a sudden when he catches up to her, she's kind of stunned that she (laughs) was caught by him and she thinks that he's going to do something and then all of a sudden Voldemort just appears behind him and she's not terrified anymore. She's like, oh, my master's here to save me, basically, is the vibe that she's giving off. No shocker that he's here, but also Dumbledore's here. So we're good in that category they duel. It's pretty cool. I don't know how much in detail I can get on here with you guys because a lot happens and it's pretty cool. I do feel that it is kind of rushed re-watching it now. Like it's, the effects are so cool and what happens is so cool, but it just, it's it happens and then it's done. And I wish that it was a little bit longer, but also I get that they couldn't make it go too much longer because I mean, this is a two and a half hour movie. You go any longer in this duel, you're going to have people being like, oh, come on. Just, you know, pacing is an issue, and I understand that. But it was still very cool, and, you know, it kind of shows the powers that Voldemort and Dumbledore have. A plus, in all honesty. I just wish that it was just a little bit longer. just, Just a smidge. But still, A plus all around. But after the duel is said and done, all of a sudden, Voldemort ends up possessing Harry. And Dumbledore is sitting there trying to tell him, you know, it's not how you're like, but how you're different. You know, you need to fight him. So before Harry gives in to Voldemort, he tells him that he's the weak one and that he'll never know love or friendship. And Voldemort then ends up exiting his body, unpossessing him, and saying that he's a fool and that he'll lose everything. And then before he can disappear, Fudge appears and sees him, and he's like, He's back. I'm like, No shit, Sherlock. What have these people been telling you? So now that they finally believe Harry and everything in this school year has wrapped up in a misshapen bow, honestly. But before Harry leaves, him and Dumbledore actually talk about the prophecy, talk about how he's actually going to have to kill Voldemort. And I think Harry is not. How should I word this? He's not comfortable with it, but he feels a little bit better going into it because. He has something that Voldemort doesn't, and that is his friends. He has people that are on his side, but they're not his friends. They're just there because they fear him. And Harry has family, in a sense. And so that kind of helps him feel a little bit better about going into this fight and what lies ahead in the next school year. As always, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We'll be back at it on the weekend of May 20th with my personal favorite, the Half Blood Prince. So, you guys should go to my TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. All are at Movie Theater Mom so you can see what's going on coming up. Also, give me a follow. I would really appreciate it just as much as I appreciate you guys listening to me ramble today. So, until next time, see you later.